Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 6, we're continuing our study really of the life of Solomon, and we're seeing the history of the nation of Israel, and we're seeing focusing really on the time of the kings and the third king, Solomon. Now, Solomon was called the wisest man who ever lived, and he ruled the nation of Israel during the great time, the time of her greatest power and riches. Now, when David was the king, we thought, man, David is great. He's whipped all the enemies around him and everything. But when Solomon became king, not only was there peace, but there was wealth and riches, and Solomon was, was the wisest man ever. In chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, those chapters that we're looking at in First Kings, Solomon is preparing to do his, his greatest work of all of his life, and that is to build the temple. And this morning, we're getting to see descriptions of it. We saw a little bit of this last week. In fact, last week, we actually went verses 1 through about 21 or 22. We'll go back just a little bit. I want to put it together. We're not going to spend a long time this morning in this particular passage, but I want you to see the temple, how it fits together, and just the great truths. And let me raise some questions. And so we raise these questions. How many temples have there been, and will there be others? Second, what's the difference between the tabernacle, which was a temporary place, and the temple? And third, what promises are connected with Solomon and obedience And then fourth, how long did it take to build the temple? What did it look like? And so as we go through that, we'll, we'll, we'll see it as we go through our passage this morning. Now, you know, it's always exciting to build something when you think about building a house or a church or an office, all kind of things. Well, you, you know, you got to have the design, you got to have money and plans and all those kind of things. And so why do you build? What's the purpose? Think about this building. Why did we build this building? You know, we've been in the building almost seven years. We've been a church 10 years. We've been in the, in the building about seven years. But why did we build this building? Well, we wanted a place that we could meet, that we could come together as a body of believers to, to meet together to worship, to be trained, and we wanted rooms that we could have classrooms in and, and teach and, and have things for children and youth and college and, and all of those things. We wanted a place to worship for worship and training. But you ever thought about the building of the temple? And if you ever thought the excitement that must have been going on in Jerusalem in the nation of Israel in the building of the temple, do you realize there were over 180,000 people involved in building the temple. Think about that, 180,000 people. And so let's raise this question. What is the purpose of the temple? Why would, why would God have Solomon build a temple? We know that there had been this tabernacle, which was uh, basically a temporary place. They built it after they came out of Egypt, went up to Mount Sinai, stayed there for a year. God gave them all these instructions, gave them the Mosaic law, gave them how to build this tabernacle. And it was a it was a temporary place in the sense that you could move it around. And now God says, we're going to allow, David wanted to build a permanent place for God. God said, not David, your son's going to do it. And so as we start and keep looking at chapter 6 and, and on, we're going to see the building of the temple. And let's think about where we are. Solomon has now followed David. David is dead. Solomon is now the king. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon, let me just say this. I love Solomon. I love David. David is the most amazing man just about ever. And yet when you look at Solomon, Solomon, we say, oh, Solomon was rich and powerful and smart and wise and everything. And yet he didn't make wise choices. You can have wisdom, but not necessarily do what's right. Solomon did a lot of things wrong, especially toward the end of his life, and we'll talk about it as we go through it. 
But there's a deal now. Solomon wants to build a temple. He's gone to this king named Hiram, king of Tyre, and they made this deal that Hiram will give them trees and things, and he'll give them food, and they'll be able to, to do it. So Hiram would send cedars and cypress and rocks and everything. Solomon would provide food, and they would do all that together, and they would build the temple. So look back at chapter 6. Look at verse 1. We're going to kind of go through this quickly this morning, but look at, look at verse 1. It says, Now it came about in the 480th year... After the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. And so what we find out is in the fourth year of Solomon's reign and during the second month, they started putting the foundation down to build it, and that was about 967 B.C. You realize that that building lasted about 400 years because in about 585 B.C., the, the Babylonians destroyed this building that they're building. You know, some people, some Jewish people, they would say, look, this is God's temple. This is the, the almighty God who controls everything. He's got a temple here. Nobody could ever destroy that. No, God said, no, I'm going to let them destroy it. And so this temple that Solomon is building is going to last for about 400 years. It's just uh, incredible. And look at verse 2. It says, as for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits and its width 20 cubits and its height 30 cubits. And what we find is, you look at that, it was about twice as big as the tabernacle. And you say, what, tabernacle, what's the tabernacle? I want to remind you, the tabernacle was the temporary place that God dwelt among his people. They had the Ark of the Covenant, they had the tent, they had the thing, and God, it was temporary in the sense that you could move it around. The temple is going to be a permanent place. Let me remind you, this is what we think the tabernacle looked like, had a kind of a big, uh, kind of a wall around it, which made a curtain, and then there's the, the, the room. The front room is called the holy place, the back room is called the holy of holies. That's the place they offered the sacrifices, that's the place of cleansing. Uh, we've seen the inside, we'll talk more about that maybe a little bit later, but that was the tabernacle, and that was a temporary place. The nation of Israel camped about the tabernacle when the cloud, called the Shekinah glory, when the cloud would rise up and move, they packed up and moved. When the clouds stopped, they stopped. It was temporary. The temple, on the other hand, is a big building that is gigantic, in the sense gigantic, not, not super huge, but just amazing for what it looked like and how it was, especially on the inside. And there is that altar, and there's the place of washing, and you go in, and there's different things. We'll talk more about it. But that's the permanent place. So we're seeing that they're taking what had been the temporary place. And by the way, it's a little bit strange because the altar was at Jerusalem, but some of the other places, some of the other parts of the tabernacle were at other places. So it's not even in one central place. So everything is going to become in one central place. Now, when Solomon builds that building, he comes out in front, and we talked about this last week, he comes out in front and stands before all the people and says, oh God, we know that the heavens and the earth cannot contain you more or less this building that I have built. So God didn't dwell in the temple or even the tabernacle. He made his presence known there. God is God. He, he is over all of his creation. He's not a part of his creation. He created everything. And so even Solomon recognized that this house that they were building was not, this house for God was not going to be where God would dwell. It was where God would make his presence known. Let me give you sort of the quick outline of the chapter. It's 38 verses. We're going to go really quickly through it just so you can see it. We saw last time the floor plan and the promise. We'll talk more about that a little bit today. And then just some, some the idea of what it looked like and how it fit together. I just want you to do this and want you to see it. Some of the slides and some of the things we mentioned last week, but I think it's very important that you have an idea and say, okay, I want to know what this thing looked like and why, why did God build it this way and what's going on? 
Well, verses 2 through 10, if you start verse 2, it says, and he built the house and it was 30 cubits and 60 cubits and 20 cubits and all that. And 2 through 10 is basically a floor plan. But go over to verse 11, because we looked at this last week. Verse 11 is a promise. And this is God's promise. It's 1 Kings chapter 6, 11, 12, and 13, that basically God said to Solomon, if you obey the word of God, there will be blessing. Notice he says in verse 11, now the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, we talked about this in the first service. I just want you to look at the, the verses because sometimes we read things so fast we miss it. Notice in verse 11, now the word of the Lord, and it's capital L-O-R-D, all capitals. That's the personal name of God. It's Y-H-W-H in Hebrew. We sometimes call it Yahweh. We're not sure how to pronounce it. They may not have even pronounced it Yahweh. That's why we pronounce it. But it, that's the word of the Lord, the personal God came to Solomon and said, look what he said, concerning the house which you're building, if you'll walk in my statutes, execute my ordinances, keep my commandments by walking in them, then I'll carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David, your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. He basically says, if you'll obey me, there'll be blessing for the nation. If you disobey me, there will not be blessing. And we know what happened. Solomon turned away from God, and by that time it was over, the nation split, and before you know it, later on, an enemy came into the north and destroyed the north, and the enemy came in the south and took them off, destroyed the temple, and what we find throughout history is any time the nation of Israel obeys God, there's blessing, any time they disobey, there's discipline, we find out the same is true. Now, by, by the way, let me show you this. The land and the seed and the blessing are all Israel's. God gave them to them, but the possession of the land and having a ruling king depends on obedience to the word of God. And when Israel didn't obey, God took them out. When they do obey, he brings them back. One of the great truths of our lives is, if you're obeying God, there will be blessing. When we live according to scripture, when we walk worthy of the call in which we've been called, when we walk in the spirit, we're gonna have blessing. But when we sin, when we're in open rebellion, when we do things wrong, we can expect discipline. It says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sow with the flesh, you reap corruption. If he sow with the spirit, you reap life. Eternal life is what it says. So it's powerful truths. And so just like the promise to Solomon, you obey Solomon, there'll be blessing. The truth is to us. We live by God's word. We'll be blessed. If we don't, we won't. Now, let me read verse 14 for you. Look at it. So he says, so Solomon built the house and finished it. Now, that's just a summary statement because the rest of chapter 6 and some of 7, and he's going to go back and tell more about the house. He's just giving you a big overview. We talked about this last week, but I want you to understand about the temple because there have been more than one temple. This is the temple. There are five temples you're going to find in the Scripture the first one is Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. It stood about 400 years. It was built here by Solomon. It took him, We'll talk about it later, but it took about seven years to build it. They built the temple. It was there, and it was destroyed. It was destroyed in 585 B.C. by the Babylonians, and this is what it, best we could tell it looked like. So they, it was destroyed. The nation of Israel was taken to captivity. They came back there for 70 years. When they came back, there's another temple being built. It was called Zerubbabel's temple. Sometimes it's called Ezra's temple because in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they come back to rebuild the temple. A priest by the name of Zerubbabel comes back, and they build this temple. It's not as big. It's not as famous. It doesn't have all the gold. We're going to see that this temple is just covered over with gold. 
It doesn't have it on the second one. We think it looked a little bit like this. It probably wasn't even that big. We already know that from history, and we read the scripture, that some people who actually were alive and saw the temple destroyed went off into captivity and came back, and when they saw this temple built, they wept. They said, it's not near as good as the first temple. And God basically reminded them, it's not the gold and the silver and the bronze that makes the temple great. It's that God dwells among his people. So that was the, the second temple. It was called Zerubbabel's temple, sometimes called Ezra's temple. Now, later on, there came another temple, or, and we're going to call it another temple. It's called Herod's temple. Herod the Great built on to the temple that Zerubbabel built, and he built a temple big and magnificent. Now, who is this Herod? Well, at the Christmas story, when you remember about the birth of Christ, and then later the wise men came to see Jesus about two years after his birth, and they came to this man named Herod. He was the king of the Jews. Now, he wasn't really the king of the Jews. He was appointed by the Romans to oversee the Jewish people, and he was a horrible man. He killed his sons. Every time one of his sons got old enough to threaten him, he killed them. So he was a bad man. And he's the same one that when the wise men came and he found out that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he told the wise men to go find out where he was, but they they were warned by God and they left. So Herod killed every boy baby in Bethlehem that was two years old and under about the time they first saw the star. So he's an evil man. But he was famous for building things. And he wanted to be on the good side of the Jews because the Romans had appointed him to oversee the Jews. That's why he called himself king of the Jews. He wasn't Jewish. And so he oversaw the, 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 he wanted to help the Jews. So he actually built their temple. He took the temple that Zerubbabel built and he added on to it. And most believe it looked like this. This is the temple itself right there. They added on this front part. They added this wall all the way around it. This was called Solomon's Porch. Gentiles could come in here. Jews could come in here. Only the priests could come in here. This is the temple area, and it was just magnificent. Many people believe that what they call the Wailing Wall today is that wall right there that's still standing, and that's all that's standing. This was called the Fortress of Antonio. That was where Roman soldiers were. If you remember when Paul went into the temple and they got him and they were going to kill him and they pulled him outside the temple, a bunch of Roman soldiers came running down and stopped him from killing him. So this is Herod's temple, and it was gigantic, and it was beautiful. And yet what happened to it? Because the nation of Israel rejected the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and turned away from God... God allowed the Romans to come in in A.D. 70 and destroy that temple and destroy Jerusalem. There has not been one since there. There's not been a temple since that time. There's going to be another one. And this one is the fourth temple, and we call this the Antichrist temple. And you go, what? why would we call it that? Because after Jesus comes in the clouds and takes us out, there will be a time on the earth called the Tribulation. During that tribulation time period, there will be a man come to power. There will be a ten-king federation, then there will be a three-king federation, and then there will be one man come to power. We're going to see that when we study the book of Revelation. We'll also take the book of Daniel put them together so you can see it. This man comes to power and becomes the world leader. He then makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel for seven years. The rapture does not start the tribulation Tribulation begins when the peace pact is made with the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel builds another temple. 
We don't know when they build it before or after the seven years start. But during the tribulation, at the halfway mark, at the three and a half year mark, this man, we call him the Antichrist, goes into the temple in Jerusalem, puts up an idol of himself, demands to be worshiped, claims that he's God, makes everybody take the mark of the beast, and starts killing everybody. This happens. It's called the Antichrist temple. And let me just remind you, here's Jesus dying, rising again. Here's the church. Here's the rapture. Sometime after the rapture, this seven-year peace pact will be made. And halfway through this seven-year time period, in the temple that'll be rebuilt, we don't know what it looks like, that temple, the Antichrist will claim to be God. And then, of course, Jesus comes at the end and handles everything. And then when Jesus comes and sets up a kingdom, there will be a thousand-year reign of Christ. And guess what? Jesus is going to build a temple in Jerusalem. The information is called the Millennial Temple. It's found in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. gives you the information, and it looks like this. This is best that some people have drawn based on what they find from Ezekiel 40 through 48. And Jesus will be in this temple. And uh, so it's, it's powerful. And let me just remind you of one thing. Let me go back here. If it'll go back. There. After this thousand-year reign of Christ, and we go into what we call the new heavens and the new earth, there will never be another temple after that. Jesus Christ's presence will be what's known as the temple. So just remind you, that's Ezekiel's, it calls it Ezekiel's temple because it's found in Ezekiel 40 through 48. You could just call it Jesus' temple because he's the one that's going to be ruling there. Now, I told you in AD 70, the temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. If you go to Jerusalem today, I've been in Jerusalem. uh, I went there in 1976. I hadn't been in a long time. I'd like to go again. You can go onto the Temple Mount. And on the Temple Mount is actually a Muslim mosque called the Mosque of Omar. It's called the Dome of the Rock. And where the temple one day in the future will be built is that part of the world. You could say, well, where's the temple today? Is there any temple today? Yes, the answer is yes. You are the temple. Every believer is the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, what do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in the body. You're, you're the temple. Every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, God lives inside of us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 talks about that the body of Christ is the temple of God. And so there is a temple today. It is not a built temple. We are the temple. If you look at 1 Peter, it says that we are a spiritual temple made up of building blocks of believers so we can worship our God, and that's who we are. So that's verse basically 14. Now from there, we get a little bit more information. Uh, He builds the walls, and then in verse 16 and 17, he says, he built 20 cubits on the rear part of the house with the boards of cedar from the floor to the ceiling. He built it for the inner sanctuary. Then in verse 17 says, and the house that is the nave in the front for the of the inner situation was the 40 long. So he built an inner, and let me just show you, he built two, the building was divided into two parts. The temple is, there was the holy of holies and the holy place. The holy place is bigger and the holy place is smaller. The holy place is at the back. Let me just remind you, this is sort of what Solomon's temple looked like. We'll go over it. But this is the back room called the holy place. He called it the back nave, and, and so that's back there. Then this is the whole this is the holy place. This is the holy of holies. 
And so this is how it's set up. This had bread, lampstand, altar of incense, a veil covering, stopping from going into the back room, and then the Holy of Holies was back back there, and that had the Ark of the Covenant. We'll talk more about that in just a second. And so this is Solomon's temple, and he describes that. In verses 16 and 17, he says there was a back room and a front room, and it's made out of cedar. And then verse 19, he says, then he prepared an inner sanctuary within the house in order to place the Ark of the Covenant there. And so it's uh, 20 cubits by 20 cubits by 20 cubits. A cubit's 30 feet, so it's 30 feet by 30 feet by 30 feet. That's how it worked. And there's a front room and a back room. Let me, let me remind that this is the front room is, is longer. Now, let me remind you, and we saw this last week, but I want you to see what's in the front room. I just described it. There is bread, table with bread on it, candles, and an altar, an altar of incense. So let me show you. This is what they think the table looked like. It, uh, it had uh, 12 loaves of bread on it. Each one of the loaves of bread represented the 12 Arab. There was for the 12 tribes of Israel. And they had a stick uh, things to carry it by. And this table is made out of gold, wood covered over with gold. And then they had a lampstand. And the lampstand, uh, they lit it. Uh, and it stayed lit all the time. A, a priest would go in there every day and make sure it kept lighting. Now, in the temple of Solomon, there were 10 things of bread and 10 lampstands. In the tabernacle, there was just one. And then at the very back, there was an altar of incense, and it burned, and incense went up all the time, representing prayers and intercession. Now, that was in the front room. And I'm going to tell, tell you in a little bit how that all relates to Christ. Then there's this veil. That, and because on the other side of that veil is that back room. And nobody could go back there. By the way, only certain priests got to go in the front room, and only the high priest got to go in the back room, and he could only go one time a year on the Day of Atonement. That was it. So let's talk about then the back room, the Holy of Holies, has the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what it looked like. And it was a box, a wooden box covered over with gold, and, and which represents Jesus Christ because the wood is, is, is humanity and the gold is his deity. He's the God-man. On top of this was what they called the mercy seat, which was a solid gold lid with two cherubim. You know, when we say cherubs, we think of little bitty things. They were, they were really strange creatures and they were very powerful creatures. And there are two cherubim on the top looking down. When, but you, some people say holiness and righteousness or righteousness and justice. Anyway, they're looking down. The high priest once a year would take the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat and pour it out on top of that to cover the sins of Israel for a year. So this is this, this building that we're seeing, and, and uh, the inner room and the outer room. In fact, the, it says he prepared the inner sanctuary in the house in order to, to put it all together, and the, uh, the inner room and the ark. And l- let me just remind you of something. If you were there, there they actually said there's seven steps here, there's eight steps here. This is the design that were given by God. And so he walks up. You would offer a sacrifice right there. If, if you were a person, you go, and the priest would offer it, and the priest would go over and clean themselves, and then if it was a brief time to do it, they would walk in this front room, and there were the tables with the bread on them, there were the lampstands, and there was the altar of incense, and the priest could go in there one time, 
one time a day, once a week to put the bread in, every day to do the lights, and every day to do the altar of incense. There was a veil. Nobody could go to the other side except the high priest. He went in once a year with blood of bulls and goats. He went all the way in. He took incense, put it behind there, let smoke fill the room. He would go in the room and pour out the blood. So all of that is what the, 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 taber, the temple looked like. Tabernacle was very similar. The temple was, was just a little bit, was a little bit bigger. And, and so this back room where the, ark, where the Ark of the Covenant was was like a cube, 20 feet by 20 feet by 20 feet. And then there's all kind of gold and everything all over this. Let me remind you of something, and we talked about this last week. All of this is a picture of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the one that it makes intercession for us, the prayer. He is the ark, the box of gold and man, but wood and gold. And he's the, the deity, of course. It, the, the, the wood is for man and the deity, the gold is deity. He's our savior. That's who he is. And so I want you to see this. He's the final, this is a sacrifice. He's the final sacrifice for sin forever. He has a cleansed, perfect life He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the one who lives forever to make intercession. He was the veil that has now been torn. He is the the Ark of the Covenant, the God-man, where all of sacrifices are done and where the payment of sin is made. It's called the mercy seat. God gives us mercy through Jesus Christ. I want you to understand that the temple is a picture of Jesus Christ. The high priest is a picture of Jesus Christ. Every sacrifice was a picture of Jesus Christ. Every feast day was a picture of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament was looking forward to the Messiah. This is a picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, look down at verse 23. It says, Also in that inner sanctuary, in the back room, in the Holy of Holies, he made two cherubim of olive wood each 10 cubits high. Now, he made two angels, two cherubim, and they're 15 feet tall, each one. Now, you know, on the Ark of the Covenant, there are these two angels looking down. He made two big old angels, 15 feet high, one on one side and one on the other. And what you find out is that, and I'm not going to even read it, but what you find is these angels had their wings out, and one angel's wings touched the wall, and then touched the wing of the other angel. Then the other angel's wing touched that angel, and his wing touched the wall. So they they went all the way across the Holy of Holies. Now, I found a picture, which I don't like. I I don't think they looked exactly like this, but that's what some people think these cherubim look like, cherubim look like. Uh, Cherub is singular, cherubim is plural in Hebrew, Hebrew for these beings. Now, their wings are supposed to be one touch of the wall, one touch of the wall, and then touching each other. That's how the person drew it. I don't know about these faces. I don't know what kind of faces these cherubim had. We know that's the two that's on there. They're very powerful beings. And, and when you think of a cherub, you know, you, a little error and a little thing, you know, a little, you maybe got some, a diaper on or something, you know. No, no, no. This, that's not what they look like. They're powerful. And if you notice that this person drew it up and has uh, the face of a man and the face of a, a bull or something, the face of a lion, probably on the backside is the eagle face. And, and that's one of the descriptions of these things. So they're very powerful beings. One angel killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. 
That's in the Old Testament. Listen, angels are not, uh, they're not little cute things. They're servants of God and they're servants for us. Hebrews chapter one says that they, good angels serve believers. They serve us and they serve God. The word angelos in the New Testament, angelos for angel actually means messenger. They're messengers of God. So anyway, and, and without uh, going all kind of things, that in verses 23 through about 28, it describes these two angels with their wings out. And then it says, he covered the walls with gravings and flowers, and everything was overlaid with gold, and the entrance was covered over with gold. And they made these doors, and some of them had turns on pivots, and they were five-sided doors, and he built everything. And so the rest of those verses, and, and we're just not going to read them all, but he just tells you how he made everything to put in there. And then finally, we get to verse 37, 38. Look what he says. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Zim. In the 11th year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished throughout all its parts and according to all his plans. So he was seven years in building it. Now, I want to show you this. How long did this take? Well, think about it. It was the fourth year of his reign in the second month to the 11th year of his reign to the eighth month. That's seven and a half years. And so the Bible just narrows it and basically says it took seven years to build it. It's seven years to build this. I read, uh, in fact, Kevin, uh, one of the guys in our church, one of our deacons came to me and he said, you know, he just read something just recently that how David had gotten gold together for Solomon and, and silver and other things. But what would you figure if you, by the listing of the gold that David gave to Solomon to build the temple, in modern day, our daytime money, it would be $8 billion worth of gold. So when we start looking at this building, it is not anything that we could even imagine how beautiful it was and how amazing it was. And the thing, think about this. The priest could go in the front room and the high priest in the back room, and those rooms were solid gold. And the people didn't get to see all of that, but they, they knew what was there. I think one of the things you, you need to remember as we go through this is that you're the temple of God now. God had... Solomon built this temple, and then he had Zerubbabel build the temple, and then he had Herod build the thing. And one of these days, there's going to be another temple in the thousand-year reign with Christ, and it's going to be called, we'll just, we call it uh, Ezekiel's temple, but it's really going to be Jesus Christ's temple. But where does God dwell among his people today? You. What, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's who we are. Each one of us in this room, God lives in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit in you, the Father in you. So how should we live? What should we do? God has set us apart. The body of Christ is the temple of God, and each individual member is the temple of God. So let me quickly just give you some application. Let's remember that God takes, cares about every detail of his life as we look at this. And I didn't read everything, but he talks about the cherubim and the palms and this and how he made it in his four-sided doorpost and he had two leaves on one side and carved this. And you just start reading it and you go, boy, that is so detailed. Yeah, because God tells, cares about everything cares about the details of our lives. So what should we do? We should be holy in our lives if he cares about everything. And let me just tell you, there's not anything that he says that you could say, oh, he doesn't care. 
Oh, he, he's not caring. He doesn't listen. He, doesn't, he cares about every aspect. Rest in a God who knows and cares about the details of everything in your life. You're never going to be by yourself. You're never alone. He knows everything. He cares about everything. Second is, let, let's seek to bring glory to God. Just realize the temple's purpose was to glorify God, was to show who he is and what he's done and, and how magnificent he is. And so when that temple was built, people from all over would come to see the temple to glorify God. What is our job with the temple of the Holy Spirit? It's to glorify God. I put this one, let's understand we are the temple of God today. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Colossians three seventeen says, whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. We should live out who we are with the temple of God today. And then finally, let's obey God's word because there's blessing. There's blessing when we do what God commands. What did he tell Solomon? Solomon, if you obey me, you get to stay in the land and you'll have a king on the throne. If you don't obey me, there'll be discipline. And the same is true for us. Whenever we live for God, whenever we serve him, he's going to bless us. And when we don't, there's going to be discipline. So we want to live in such a way that he gets all the glory. Remember, you, you are the temple of the living God.